You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. We're starting Acts chapter 4, and before I do, um, Martin said about he's not originally from this area. The truth is, my wife and I aren't originally from this area. We're still from Pennsylvania. We're from Gettysburg. We moved here in 2010, so this, like a week or two ago, whatever the 15th was, wow, that went right by me. The 15th was five years since we moved here. And in, during those five years, these first five years, I have noticed originally, my first year especially, how drastically different Northeast Pennsylvania and South Central PA are, even in dialect, the way we say things, the phrases that you guys use. And I've mentioned some of them before, but this one I, I don't think I've mentioned. Maybe I have it, I have it. But I was working one day with a coworker of mine, and she was showing me pictures of her kids and how he had scribbled on the wall. And she said, he is such a boldy. I said, what in the world is a boldy? I've never heard of that. She, she's like, you know, he's a boldy. I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And then about a month later, I'm seeing another coworker, and she's describing her dog and how her dog is a boldy. I'm like, is this a breed I've never heard of? Like, what is a boldy? And it began to drive me. Apparently, boldy means they do bad things sometimes. They're very bold. Um, that's not the word I use. If my kids do bad things, I say, they're bad. Um, or they did something bad. Or they're mischievous. That's a word I understand. But a being, oh, they're a boldy. I'm like, this word, it so it began to drive me nuts. Like, all of a sudden, I noticed all my coworkers using this term about being a boldy. I'm thinking, you know what, I can handle it. It's just at work. It's just coworkers. It'll be fine. I get home one day, and Faith and Haley are playing, and then all of a sudden, out of Haley's mouth comes the phrase, he's a boldy. And I thought, dear God, no. What has happened? What has happened? And Jared knew that this dro- drove me mad. Pastor Jared, he heard Haley say that. And so for like the next two months, he made it his mission in life to make sure that they were, is daddy a boldy? <laughs> Go ahead, call daddy a boldy. <laughs> and so this term boldy like still makes me very frustrated because it's like, that's not English. To be a boldy isn't, you could be bold or that person was bold, but mischievous behavior is not being a boldy. So it annoyed me. This morning as we look at chapter 4 of Acts, and we've been talking over these last few weeks about how the book of Acts isn't written just like so we have a good history lesson. It's really for our lives today. We take the application of what happened in Acts, and it should happen in the life of believers today. The church is still on mission. The mission of the gospel, the mission to proclaim the gospel and to disciple all nations hasn't ended just because this book is together in one binding. It's still active today because Christ hasn't yet returned for his church. Make sense? So when we look at chapter 4, there's one phrase that came to my mind. Can anybody think of that phrase? Being a boldy. I know, it's not proper English, but I'm going to go with it anyway today. We're going to look in chapter 4 about what does it mean to be a boldy. Starting in verse 1. This is my official definition of a boldy, just in case you're wondering. Verse chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people and the priests and the captains of the temples and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Let me, let me recap r- real quick. What we had just seen happen, if you, if you don't remember, is 
Peter and John, they heal the lame beggar outside of the temple. You guys remember this from last week? They see him and they say, we don't have silver or gold, but we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He rises up and walks, and he begins to proclaim and shout out the praises of God. And he goes into the temple doing this. And out of that, people start to look at Peter and John like, what did you just do? And they respond and preach the gospel. Their response to a miracle, we talked last week, healing is always to proclaim the gospel. It's not so we feel good and have life eternal for ourselves and stay in our Christian little bubbles and heal one another because we're a happy club. It's to proclaim the gospel through the work of God interfering and intervening in our lives. That's what healing's for. So we talked about that last week, and this is the aftermath. So Peter has proclaimed the gospel to this, all these people who are wondering what's happening. This is where we are. So they're speaking to the people, and the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means did this man be, have, has he been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." Wow, that's a lot right there. Let's take a minute. First part of this. They preach the gospel. They heal this man. They see, through the power of Jesus, this man is healed. And I love this. I love that these captains and priests, these chief priests, were able to arrest Peter and John. Why? Because they were greatly annoyed. Wouldn't that be wonderful if you could arrest somebody because you were annoyed by them? We would be, the prisons would be full right now. You would probably be in prison too. Let's be honest. We would all be in prison right now. If we, you're annoying me. Get in jail. At least for one night. So they're arrested because they were annoying the, the priests, the religious leaders. They're preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Greatly annoyed them. So they're thrown in jail for one night because it was already late. They're like, we'll get to you in the morning. We'll figure that out tomorrow. So they're in jail. The next morning, they drag them out. And their first question was, what name did you do this in? Let me me explain real quick before I get into that why they were annoyed. Why were these chief priests annoyed? Do they not like to see crippled people healed? Is that what the reason? The reason is these Sadducees and these religious leaders, one, they don't believe in resurrection. They don't believe in Jesus as a source of resurrection. And so what happens is, these, it says they were teaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they had just seen a, a miracle. And we just saw that 5,000 now believe. Before this, we saw 3,000. Now we're at 5,000. This is quickly growing. 
So when the religious leaders, all of a sudden, somebody's teaching against their teaching, and they're growing, and they're doing miracles, this is a threat. They were annoyed and threatened in this moment. Somebody is coming in here teaching a religion that could wipe us out because now it's doing something and it's growing. It's against us. When you study these uh, Caiaphas and these religious elders and these, these Sadducees, these were the ones that Rome was in contact with. Roman officials would come and pay them. There was, these weren't just spiritual men. These were political rulers in that area. They had the say of what happened. That's why they were able to look and say, you guys go to jail. Somebody take them to jail. They had power, and their power was threatened. Because now these guys are saying, basically, you don't, you don't have the say. You're not, what you're doing isn't bringing any life. So they're annoyed. Does that make sense? They're irritated. They're annoyed because something is coming against them, and they throw them in jail. And they ask, in whose name? Whose name do you do this? Do you remember a similar story in the book of Mark where they came to Jesus and they asked him, in whose name do you do this? And they were basically saying, you were doing these things in the name of Satan. And Jesus completely says, you're ridiculous. You can't, that can't happen. This is, I'm doing it in the Father's name. And now disciples get the same question. They are living what Jesus has modeled to them. They get the same question and they say, in Jesus' name. We're doing it in his name now. This miracle has happened because of Jesus. This is boldy number one right here. First act of being a boldy. They say it's Jesus' name. There's, and then I love this verse. This is a verse that today's culture hates. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The gospel says you were only saved. There is only salvation through Jesus Christ. And when they say this to the high priest, they are basically saying, your way is done. Jesus has fulfilled it. And he's the only one you can be saved by. There's salvation only in him. They basically, while they're in prison, speak against the ones who have put them in prison. Does that make sense? This is being a boldy. Let's move on. Can we do that? Starting in verse 13, and this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Verse 13. Now when they had saw the boldness, and boldy, there it is. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's keep going. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They see Peter and John, and they say, these are pretty dumb men, honestly. They're uneducated, and they're common. But this guy's walking, and we can't do anything about it. We can't come against them. It says they were amazed. They saw that they had been with Jesus, and now here's the response of them being with Jesus uneducated, common men, but they had been with Jesus. The truth is, to experience the supernatural authority of God, the power of God in your life, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be extraordinary. You don't have to be from some royal bloodline. You don't have to be a chief priest. You don't have to be anything special. But what you do have to have is that you've been with Jesus. 
that you've experienced the Holy Spirit, that you've experienced the power in your life. Let me explain. Do you ever know something even though you've never studied it? Example, for me, my dad works for a long time. He's worked, he's a, a, a pastor, but he doesn't get paid, so he has to work another job, which is pretty common. So he works for years. He's been working um, as a truck driver hauling golf carts, golf carts all over the place. And I, who have never, ever in my life gone golfing, know a lot about golf carts. I know there's Easy Goes, there's Yamahas, there's even some Harley Davidsons, which they're rare. But Easy Go is the number one brand. I can tell you the difference in style. I can tell you how to start one. I know where the battery is. I know where the barcode is. I know how to jump one. I know how the tires work. I know that there's special edition ones that have six seats. I know about the the window wrappings that go on it and how they go on it. I know that you also often find many people leave the golf balls in their carts when they leave the golf course. And my dad has a lot of golf balls because people forget their golf balls. They also forget those little tiny pencils, which are only useful if you're playing golf. Who else wants to use a pencil this big while they're doing their homework or something? I've done that many times. But I know a lot about golf carts. I know how they start. I know how they're loaded. I know that the Easy Go factory is in Augusta, Georgia. That's the number one plant. I also know it's a big business. You wouldn't think that. I know it's not just golf carts that golf carts are used for. Farmers use golf carts. Colleges use golf carts. Creation uses golf carts. All these different events use golf carts. It's a big industry. I know this not because I love golf carts, but because I've been with my dad who does this on a regular basis. Does that make sense? When you've been with Jesus, you know what he does. You know how he does it. You are able to do it. You can put me in front of a golf cart. I can start it. I can drive it. I've wrecked one when I was 16. Don't worry about it. It was actually on the, uh, the golf cart factory in Augusta, Georgia. It was brand new. I'll, okay, I'll quickly tell you a story since you asked. Um, I'm, we're on the, the golf cart plant. My dad let me come along for this trip, so I got to skip school. It was awesome. So I'm down in Georgia, and he said, hey, I need you to take the brand-new carts. These are brand-new. And I need to just drive them over here and park them. Then I'll load them onto the trailer. And I'm like, all right, I can do this. He's like, don't hit any of the other golf carts. I'm like, I got this. So I'm backing out, and I'm like, I'm watching, making sure I don't bump into any of the other golf carts. I run my golf cart right into the back of his tractor trailer and got it stuck under the wheel well. I didn't hit a golf cart. I hit the truck. But he took the blame like a good dad so, and said it was his fault, and he was a little grouchy the rest of the drive home from Georgia, and that's a long drive when your dad's mad. Um, <laughs> but I know a lot about golf carts because I've been there. I, I, I don't love golf carts, but I know about them. Just the other day, I was driving somewhere, and I could see that, like, I knew the make and model. I knew around what year that was made, just seeing it off in some farmer's field. I'm like, I know what that golf cart is. It's an it's a easy go. Because I've been there. We wonder sometimes why we don't see some of these things happen because we don't spend time in his presence. You can only live this life out. You can only be a boldy if you've spent time in his presence. That verse to me is one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. They were normal, uneducated, common men, but they've been with Jesus, so they did amazing things. That's awesome. That is the power of the gospel. That's the power of the Holy Spirit life in us. Some of us, some of the greatest pastors or world changers for the gospel in all of history were pretty dumb guys. That's exciting. I love that the gospel says he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
That's, this is all the gospel here. It's a new system. Spending time in his presence and, and living in obedience to the Holy Spirit is more valuable than, and, and more impressive than any education or career or degree that you can work up. It's more impressive because when you see somebody heal, when you see a life change because of the words that you spoke through the power of the Holy Spirit, that means way more than some four-year degree that I spent a lot of money on. And I have four-year degrees that I spent a lot of money on. Still, I'm paying a lot of money on, just in case you didn't pick that up. I've, those things are uh, they're, they're important, but there's nothing compared to living in his presence. That's amazing. That's what makes people scratch their head. Like, how did that just happen? How, we, we just heard a story over the weekend um, from the, the sessions that we were doing about this man who came in to kill a preacher. He came in to kill this guy, and the power of the gospel hit his life, and he was completely changed. Because of the, 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 the congregation began to hug him during the worship service. That must be a little bit intense if you're planning on murdering somebody and all of a sudden 100 people start hugging you. But like the power of the gospel changes lives and it's unexplainable and it's amazing and it's overwhelming. When people spend time with Jesus, it makes us uncommon. They couldn't couldn't argue with the miracle that they just saw. When you see a miracle in your life, you can't argue with it. You really can't. Let's move on. Verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But when Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Here's what happened. They said, look, we can't deny that this guy's healed. But what we can do is tell you, okay, go out. We'll let you go. But don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they said, um, let's see. Do we listen to you or do we listen to God? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and listen to God. We're going to keep talking about this. And then they try to threaten him some more. And then they're like, well, we can't really do anything, so go on out. Body number two. <laughs> they looked at them while still captured. They're, basically, they were offered, here's the terms of your release. And they said, yeah, that's ridiculous. We're not going to do that. <laughs> Sorry. We're going to keep on preaching Jesus because it's all we know. It's all we've seen. And it's all that we are. And they, did, they, they still didn't stop them. They let them out. In the midst of jail, like, to me, if that was me, if I was Peter and, and, and John, I'd have been like, I looked at them and be like, Peter, let's just pretend that we'll go with this. Let's just pretend. For a little bit until we get out the door, then we can talk about Jesus. Like, how? Let's not lie. Let's not kid ourselves. If I'm in jail, if you're in jail, and they say, "Hey, don't talk about it," you're at least going to pretend like you agree with those rules. They didn't. They're, they were clear. Look, we're not doing this because we can't. We'd rather listen to God than listen to you. At that moment, they said to them, "You, as the religious leaders, the voice of God, are no longer the voice of God." 
We're not listening to you as religious leaders. We're listening to him only. This was a real moment of being a boldy. <laughs> they got released anyway. I love it. Verse 27. We're going to skip, skip here. It's, it's to 27. So they're released, and they go to their friends, and they, they tell their friends and what, what had happened. And so they're together, and this is, this is their prayer. This is, this is their conversation. Verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They had just come out of this first act of persecution against them. They were in prison for preaching the gospel. They were told not to preach the gospel. And they, I pointed out two different demonstrations of boldness in the midst of that persecution. And what's their first prayer? They pray for more boldness. To me, if that was me, I'd come out there like, we are the champions. That would be me. I'd be singing like, I don't need any more boldness. I'm great. I just, I just laughed in front of my prisoner, or the, the, whoever they are, the people who put me in prison. What's the word for that? I don't know. Jailers. That's it. Thank you. That, that would have been me. Like, I, I would have been like, we're, we're good with boldness. Their first prayer, though, is for more Boldness, And I love this, this, this verse we, we tend to wrestle with, with because we don't like it. But it says that the Herod and Pilate and all these people who came against them did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This persecution against them was already foreseen, predestined, and was part of the plan for the gospel. It wasn't some fluke. It wasn't some accident. They didn't come together in that room and start praying, Dear Jesus, end the persecution quickly, please. Please stop people from picking on us. Let's not go to jail again. They didn't pray for that. They said, give us more boldness so that we can face persecution, so that we can stand against it and still declare your gospel. That boggles my mind. When, I, when something attacks me, my first response isn't, Jesus, help me through the attack. It's, please end this attack quickly. I do not like it. I'm not a fan. And this verse says that the persecution that was predestined was against Jesus first and then his servants. Let me say this. The gospel will always grow and advance despite persecution. Persecution has not stopped the gospel and it never will. It didn't, start, it, didn't, it didn't stop the gospel with Pilate. It didn't stop the gospel with, with, with Caesar. It didn't stop the gospel with Nero when he's throwing thousands of Christians into a building built to kill Christians for sport, the Colosseum. Guess what? A few years ago, my wife and I were at the Colosseum. It's in rubbles. It's in piles. Of, it's, it's falling apart. The church isn't. The church is still growing, is still being built, is still founded on a solid rock that will never be shaken, will never be moved. The word of the Lord endures forever. 
Everything fails, but he doesn't. The gospel will always flourish despite persecution. If you're fed to a line tomorrow for your faith, guess what? Somebody will believe the next day. That's the power of the gospel. It never, never ends. Chinese communism can't stop the gospel. North Korea can't stop the gospel. Taking Bibles out of school can't stop the gospel. Some liberal agenda or whatever we want to call it, and we put it on our Facebooks and say, look at these mean, evil presidents or whatever. That won't stop the gospel. The only thing that will stop the gospel is you keeping your mouth silent in the face of persecution. Christians always pray for boldness despite persecution, not to end it. We've got to become a church that wants just to proclaim the gospel in everything. He was persecuted. We will be persecuted. It's the way the gospel is advanced. When we stand up and do something so countercultural, so counterintuitive, the world can't help but to see the power of the gospel. How we're willing to lay our, our pride down, our lives down, our selfishness down, and serve him serve those around us to ask that the world would know him we are given one great commission and it should be burned inside of each of our hearts that every eye will see every ear will hear every lip will proclaim that he is king and they will find ultimate joy in christ no matter what persecution we go through our prayer this morning has to be god grant us more boldness It wasn't something that they, they looked at and said, well, wow, we did some pretty impressive stuff. They were instantly able to say, Jesus, that was only you. That was only the work of your Holy Spirit that allowed that to just happen. So keep doing it in us. Holy Spirit, keep doing it in us. I love that they didn't pray that it would stop. I love that they, they, they prayed for more of him. There's, there's basically a few questions that we have to we have to look at number one is have you been with him we have a lot of people who call themselves christians but there's no awe there's nothing they're pretty common we're in a lot of areas i'm pretty common but when i spend time in his presence all of a sudden my life begins to change the way i think the way i act with people the way i proclaim the gospel is empowered we've got to be people who spend time with jesus spend time in his presence when the world looks at us, do they look at us and say, they've been with Jesus? Do they? Because if so, it's pretty encouraging for you. This is the power of the gospel that completely transforms your life. This is not something I'm saying here to make you feel guilty. I'm saying this to ask you, to, to encourage you. There is real life and real fruit that can come out of this church and out of you as an individual if you were empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit and being with him, being in his presence, seeking his face. The other thing I ask is, do you run from persecution? That, that, that to me is like what America thinks, that we, somehow if we ended persecution against the church, that we would be a better church. No, it's, we'd be a better church if we stopped running from it and ran to it. The gospel is the gospel. So either we proclaim it because we believe it or we hide from it because we don't like people throwing mean words at us. How, how do you run from persecution? I don't, I don't know. It's different. We're, this is America. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not being beheaded. We're not being stoned. 
And I think, I actually just read this recently, that there's this false idea that if you're a Christian and you go to like a high school and you say that you're a Christian and all of a sudden your friends are going to be mean to you. Or if you say you're a Christian, all of a sudden your coworkers are going to be mean to you. The truth is I haven't seen that really at all. When I, in, in school, I, I don't know many stories of people who are persecuted for the gospel, honestly. But we kind of built this idea that we will be. Just, just, just speak. Just be bold. If, if, if I can get myself to get rid of pride and, and arrogance and selfishness, then, then I'll speak more about who he is. If, one last thing, one last thought before we, can, can we stand? Let's get ready for worship. I shut my Bible and I shouldn't have. Acts chapter 4. I recently read um, from N.T. Wright, a, a theologian who, who says he prays this for himself all the time. And I think, you know what, that's really good. This is a really good prayer for us to pray for ourselves. Verse 29 through 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This should be our prayer. God, give me some boldness to speak so that you can work through Jesus. Give me boldness. Let, let me just be obedient so that you can do something. That's, that's, that should be the prayer. It was the prayer for Peter and John when they had just come out of prison. It should be my prayer every day. Give me boldness so that you can move, so that you can heal, that you can do signs and wonders, so that people will see your name proclaimed. That should be the prayer of the church today. It was in Acts chapter 4. The world needs us to be uncommon people. We think that we'll win people to Jesus by being normal and, and common. The truth is, and I've talked about this before, don't be that insane guy with the bullhorn in the corner who's just yelling at people. That's not what I'm saying. But we do need to boldly proclaim the gospel in love. And that makes us very uncommon sometimes. Walking up to a sick person and praying for them is a little unnormal. But that's the call of the Holy Spirit. That's the mission of the gospel. The world needs us to be unnormal people. It does. We don't need any more normal people. There's too many. It doesn't change anybody. But this does.